How is everyone? Good. I think we sort of have the mic fixed. Yeah. Which mic? They're still working on this one and this one. <laughs> um, let's see. Actually, I was going to make an announcement that, but I just saw her leave. But so maybe we'll do it again next week. But we have a new children's director, and it's Jerry Stevens. So we can clap. <laughs> but she's already busy at work um, teaching catechism with uh, Paul. So anyway, that is exciting to hear. Um, also, we got uh, Justice mentioned it, um, and there's some major something on the stage feedback going on. Um, Justice mentioned it, but I wanted to have a couple people pray for our Chocolate Fest coming up this Wednesday. Um, that's kind of one of our two main outreaches to the youth. So Dan Benson, can you come and pray for that? And then I know Justice has duties, so I'll have Jordan pray as well. They're sleeping in their walk with you like Mike's been talking. God, I pray that they would wake up and start walking in repentance and walking with you, Jesus. Amen. So we hope to have about 100 youth um, this Wednesday. Please be praying uh, probably around 8, 8.15, I think, is when um, we'll be presenting the gospel. So that'll be very exciting. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel's under attack today, big time. People are turning away from it. People are denying it. I think it's important for us to be continually reminded of it and to have it before us, which is what my message is going to be on today, is about keeping the gospel the first thing. So in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul starts out in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So I want to talk on this issue of the gospel, and I want you to notice first in verse 3 how Paul describes it. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance. I think every version... Uh, it says, has that word first in it. It's first importance. Um, it's a primary concern. How many chapters are in 1 Corinthians? 16. All right, good job. How many are in 2 Corinthians? 13, that's right. I heard some whispers out there. You guys are right. So he writes to them 16 chapters, and then he picks it up later in 2 Corinthians 13 chapters, 29 chapters. He's written to them, and here he is stressing to them what is of first importance. Now, he wrote to them about a whole lot of things, right? A whole lot of things. But of first importance for all of us is the gospel. It always has been, it always is, and it always will be the first important thing. So we need to make sure we make the gospel the first Thing. 
How do we do that? Well, part of it's about how we structure our lives and live our lives out. First, we apply the gospel to ourselves. What do you call someone who preaches to others but doesn't practice it themselves? Hypocrite, right? So we need to live gospel-centered lives. Now, when my kids were younger, um, I told them uh, repeatedly, it was almost like a little mantra in our family, that we weren't going to be a sports family, we weren't going to be an entertainment family, we weren't going to be like any of those type of families, first and foremost. First and foremost, we were going to be a God family. All right, That's how I explained it to them when they were younger. And I explained to them what, what that meant was all the decisions, all the decisions that we make aren't going to re- revolve around, <clears throat> oh, sports, does that work for the sports schedule? No, or hiking or camping, does that work for that? Or our entertainment, does it work for that? No, all our decisions are going to center around the hub, which is God. And from that, we will let God be in the center, influence how we make the different decisions of sports and entertainment and education and all of those things. And we can't be an effective witness to others if we ourselves aren't covered in the gospel. So it has, to, it has to permeate our lives, not just for 30 minutes in the morning for a quiet time, but it has to permeate our lives. Uh, look at Titus 3. Look at this verse. In verse 4 of chapter 3, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So you've been, if you've trusted Christ for your salvation, you've been washed and you've been renewed. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. If you're walking around washed and renewed, okay, that's your position before God. That's how he sees you. You've been washed and renewed. All right? If you take a shower every 20 minutes... <laughs> It's easy to forget what it's like to be unclean. It's easy to forget. And God has renewed you, and it's a continual state that you're in. You're cleansed. You're washed with the blood of the Lamb. Okay? Now, that's our position before God. He sees us, and that's what he sees. Now, practically, that's a different story, right? We are fallen. We have sin. God's conforming us to the image of his Son, But here's the thing with the gospel. It's like a gourmet feast prepared for you. Now, I don't know how often you guys go out to fancy restaurants. It's not very often in my family, okay? Those cost some money. Um, But when you go out to a really nice dinner, a really nice restaurant, um, is that like a little little thing you do when you're running behind and you got to get to uh, the kids' soccer game? Now, you kind of plan out that whole evening, right? I mean, you want it to be nice, and you make sure you have plenty of time to enjoy the entire meal. You wouldn't just, like, scarf it down. You're going you're gonna to slow down, and you're going to have a good time. And when we get distracted in, in our daily life, we actually forget about the feast that we have, which is the gospel right before us. And we're running through life, and we're, we're forgetting the very first thing, the thing that's of first importance which is the gospel. Every single day, 
every single day, the gospel should be on our heart and in our mind. And we should, every single day, we should have a gratitude towards God for what he's done for us in his son Jesus. Distractions and distractions. We can get very, very, very short-sighted with distractions in our life. Okay, this past, the last three days, um, my two oldest sons' basketball season just kicked off, and it starts with a, a big tournament, and so I've seen tons of basketball. Um, it's like coming out my ears and eyes and mouth and everything. And I actually love it. I love basketball, and I love, I love watching it. But um, I have to remind myself, I remember <clears throat> in the middle of the, of the game, I was watching it, and I kind of like put everything on pause because I'm like, this is awesome, and I'm enjoying it. But there are much more important things in life than even this basketball game, regardless of who wins or loses, right? Jesus, the Father, the Gospel. And I have to remind myself of that, especially when the refs make a really bad call. Um, I, have to remind, I have to remind myself that there are more important things than someone dribbling a ball and trying to get it through this iron rim. Okay? And it's the Gospel. It's the Gospel. But... If we are not careful, we can, let, we can let anything, anything, anything become a distraction to us when it comes to our relationship with God and the gospel. That's why Paul starts out, go back to 1 Corinthians 15. In the very first verse, notice what he says. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I mean, did they need to be reminded of the gospel? Well, apparently, right? I mean, did they forget it, forget it? I mean, not in its entirety, all right? He's writing to believers. They know the gospel. They've believed in Jesus for their salvation. But distractions had crept in. Sin, in their case, had kept in. And this can easily happen with us. if we're not intentional with the gospel. We need to apply it to ourselves. We need to apply it to our relationships. We need to apply it to our thoughts. Okay? The gospel, what Jesus did for us, what we just read in 1 Corinthians 15, that should permeate our lives. And I want you to see the way that they received the gospel. Back in verse 1, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Now, that word that most translations translate gospel, that's just the word good news. The Greek is euangelion. That very next word, though, which is really two words in our English, I preached, it's just one word in, in Greek, it's actually the same exact word, but just in the verb form. So literally, he's saying, I'm reminding you of the gospel that I gospeled to you. Or I'm reminding you of the good news that I good newsed to you. Okay? He uses the noun and then the verb right next to each other. He wants to emphasize to them this good news. And what did he do? He delivered, he says, what he received. So Paul receives it. It comes to him. And what does he do? He passes it on. So the gospel is not something that is invented. Paul didn't invent it. It's not made up. It's something that God did. And then we take that message and we hand it on. 
So you receive the gospel, you apply it, and then second, you pass it on, you share it. Okay? It all started for the Corinthians because Paul opened his mouth. And it all started for you and for me because someone opened their mouth. Listen, no one ever got saved. No one ever got saved observing someone doing good deeds. Think about that. No one ever got saved just observing someone doing good deeds, just observing someone living out their Christian life. Now, that might have attracted them to that person and inquired about it, but just observing someone living for Christ, that's not going to save people. What does Romans 10 say? Faith comes from what? From hearing. Okay, from hearing. So we need to share the good news. Now, here's the thing about the gospel. It is good news for us and for others. Okay? Uh, we're getting ready slowly, but quicker than we maybe want for the Christmas season. I saw on Facebook, some, one of you already has your uh, Christmas tree up, um, Justice. <laughs> so thanks to you, my kids were bugging me last night at 1045 at night to get out the Christmas tree. <clears throat> and I was like, no. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> yes. Andrea wanted to get the tree out, too. I was trying to protect you, honey, but uh, you exposed yourself, right? <laughs> Just kidding. So we're coming up on the Christmas season. And in Luke 2, what does the angel say to them? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All the people. The good news is for all the people. All the people. Now, imagine you turn on the evening news. I'm still fasting from the news, by the way, all right? I do know there's an election in a couple days, okay? <laughs> and get out and vote, all right? <clears throat> but imagine you turn on the evening news, and the newscaster says, um, tonight we're going to have good news. <laughs> now, you'd probably laugh, right? Because who does that? Um, but what would you do if the newscaster uh, proceeds to just sit there? He's just sitting there, staring at the camera. And he's like, I'm a great example of what a good newscaster looks like who has good news. And he just sits there. No, he needs to speak the good news. He has to speak it, right? Now, he can have the good news. He can have it, but he can't be the good news, okay? And it, it kinda, I know, I think, what people are trying to emphasize when they're like, be the gospel, Okay? But in, in a very real sense, you can't be the gospel. Okay? Because we read the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's the message of hope, that salvation is through Jesus. You can't be that. You can share that, but you can't be it. So uh, the newscaster needs to speak the good news. We, as believers, need to share or preach the good news. The good news is what we have, and we possess it. And then we receive it, and we take it, and we pass it on to other people. Now, do you all know what this is right here? Let me see if I can get it. It's the Gospel of John. Do you know what Europe's oldest, Europe's oldest surviving book is? It's a, actually just a Gospel of John. They found one um, in <clears throat> a coffin... And the British Library um, ended up purchasing it in, in 2012. Uh, it's believed to be Europe's oldest book. 
It was a, a little gospel of John that was about the seventh century is when they dated it to. And it sat in that coffin untouched and undisturbed for 400 years until it was discovered. And they had a picture of it um, on the internet and they had a little ruler next to it and I was like, I was like looking at the dimensions and then I got one of these out and I measured it and it's almost exactly the same size, like almost to a T within like a half a centimeter or something like that, which I just thought was kind of cool because this is what we have available for us to hand to people as one of our ways of engaging people in our witness for Jesus, right? Apparently someone in the seventh century, you know, the little pocket testament league wasn't the first people to think of this, all right? That goes back hundreds of years. <clears throat> so we can use this, though. It's a tool to start gospel conversations. It's a tool to spread the gospel. We handed out life books on, um, on Halloween. Um, we probably hold the record for the least number of kids that knock on our door, probably for like four years running. I'm not even kidding, because my father-in-law said that they had 85 kids come through. And that was down from like 104 the previous year. We had 12. 12. Like, I live in a pretty good-sized neighborhood, right? And we have some pretty good candy, usually. Um, but we had 12. But we handed out the life books. One little girl was so excited about getting a life book that she actually ran off before she got her candy. <laughs> but we gave it to her sister, who had stayed behind. I don't know if her sister ever gave it to her, but <laughs> at least she's got a life book. <laughs> so we can use those things to start gospel conversations. Another thing Justice mentioned is our chili cook-off coming up. What's the date on that? That's right. Good job. You guys remember. Um, here's what I want each of you all to do. I want each of you all to take three of these. We got enough back there for each person to take three, Justice? Okay. I want you to take three of these and invite three people. Can we do that? Three people. You could probably get that done before you got home today. Of course, you can't hand them out to people in this room, okay? That doesn't count. <laughs> and no one else who's a member that's not here, they don't count either, all right? But I want each of us to take three and invite three people. And usually by inviting three people, you're really inviting potentially three families, okay? Again, we're going to give the gospel that day. It's our opportunity to have a gospel witness. Invite them in. Let them see firsthand what you're about, what Jesus is about, what the gospel is about. Because here's the thing, and it took me a while to understand this. In fact, I didn't understand it when I was a young believer. didn't even probably know about it. But here's the thing. Every person is either in Adam or in Christ. Okay, think about that for a second. Because Adam was all of our representative. He represented all of us. And the scripture has a term for Adam when, it, when it's talking about the believer. He's referred to as the old man. And he is pretty old. <laughs> but he's the old man is what scripture says. And then there's the new man. That's what you're getting in Romans. This comparison going on. And you have a representative. It was Adam. He messed it up for all of us, in case you didn't know. But here's the thing. You're like, that's not fair. I've heard, had many people say that to me uh, when, I, when I share the gospel. That's not fair. That's not fair that uh, he can act on my behalf and, and screw the whole thing up for me. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe. But 
if he can screw the whole thing up and represent us, um, we want to be careful with, with saying that's not fair because then we'd actually have to say that with the same thing with Christ because then he represents us, right? I mean, think about that for a second. He, he, he uh, Adam, messed it up. We were in him, and because of that, then the sin is, is on us as well. But then Christ comes along, and what happens? Righteousness. Right? Now, is that fair? Not really, if you think about it. It's just as fair as Adam as it is with Christ. But the, the, the economy of the system is the same the way God operates. Christ is our representative. Amen? So he represents us. And so you're either in Adam or in Christ. Every person you're going to run into today, they're either in Adam or in Christ. They're either an unbeliever with God's wrath on them, set to be poured out, or they're a believer in Christ, with Christ's righteousness given to them. All the blessings of Christ on them. If you're a believer here, that's you. You're in Christ. How does that happen? Well, it's back to the gospel. It's back to the good news. It's back to us taking that and applying it first to ourselves, receiving it, and then sharing it with others. Now, do you think Adam realized the impact his decision would have? I mean, there were just two people on the earth at that time. Did Adam realize how many it would impact? What about the decisions we make? You ever think about that? Like the decisions we make. We try to minimize in our own minds the impact of our decisions and, and how they impact others. And we tell ourselves, you know, the impact is very small, so we don't feel so bad when we make a wrong decision or, or bad decisions or sinful decisions. But our, our decisions impact not only us, but they impact our family, our future family, our extended family, our coworkers, our neighbors, the members at our church. Our decisions have a far-ranging impact on others. We need to make sure we make wise and God-honoring decisions. Here's the thing. God made a decision that impacted everyone. And I'm glad he made it to send his son. And his son lived the perfect life, was crucified three days later, rose from the dead. And here's the thing about the resurrection. The resurrection is true whether I believe it or not. The resurrection is true whether you believe it or not. Because, look, believing something doesn't make it true or not true. I mean, I can believe that this world is not a globe I can believe it's a square, like a Star Trek Borg or something like that, you know? A little floating cube out in space. But just because I believe it doesn't make it so. Okay, I can believe I'm the president of the United States. All right? I can have a little slogan or something like that. Don't be conned. Vote for Bond. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I can believe I have an amazing voice and belong on the worship team. I can believe, I can also believe other things about other people, right? I can believe my boss is, is a jerk. But just because I believe it doesn't mean it's true. Because truth is objective. And all of us in this room could believe 2 plus 2 equals 5. We can believe all we want, 
but that won't make it true. And all of us in this room can believe 2 plus 2 equals 4. But even then, our belief, our belief does not make it, tr make it true. It's true apart from any belief. It's true even if every single person didn't believe 2 plus 2 equals 4. Listen, if belief dictated truth, then Germany was fine in exterminating the Jews. But they weren't. And if belief dictates true, then the man who murdered those Jews at the synagogue about a week ago, he was fine in doing it because that's his truth. But that's not biblical truth. That's baloney. But we have people telling us, you know, you need to catch up to history. You need to be on the right side of history. Now, we need to go back to, to history, to the one who created everything and is in charge of history. Here's how one theologian said it regarding history and this concept of being on the right side of history. He said, history is a flow, and history changes. To be on the right side of history today might be to be against history tomorrow. So you'd actually have to wait. History is happenings. Happenings can't dictate what ought to happen. It's a logical confusion. What is details what ought to be? That's what the skeptic says. What is details what ought to be. So you determine what you ought to do by what is. That's kind of odd. See, I want to be on, I don't want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on Christ's side of history. Because he's coming back, and then everything will be history. And there will be a final judgment. <clears throat> and that's the only, uh, there's going to be two, 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 uh, two lines, right? The goat and the sheep. And I want to be in the right line. You want to talk about being in the right, I want to be in the right line. Okay. That's being on the right side of history. And at the end of history, Christ will come back. And he's going to give out his punishment to those to whom it is due, the unbelievers. And he's going to give out his reward to those whom it is due. And my encouragement is to seek that Christ who gives you the crown of life. And here's the thing. It's, it's the crown of life. And we should share that with other people. We want them to have that same crown of life. Listen, Christ is going to set all things right. And sometimes in, in my sinfulness, I'm like, man, he better set it right. Okay? Because there's a lot of wrongs out there, and I can get pretty ticked off. But there's also... <clears throat> the righteous side of me that's like, you know what? He is going to set it right. He's going to do it, and I might not like how things are, and history might not be going how I think it should, but he is in control, and he is sovereign, and someday all those wrongs, Christ will right. And guess what? I better make sure whatever wrongs I got, that I right in his presence while I'm still here to be able to do that and be able to make a difference. Listen, Satan is going to be defeated. He will be defeated. And a lot of times I feel like we cry, um, now, Lord, now, Lord, now, Lord. Really, we should be crying, you know, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. You know, Paul ends a couple of his letters that way. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. That's when it's going to be dealt with, in his time. And while <clears throat> there's a saying, uh, a, a quotation, Dum Spiro Spero, that I make my Latin students learn, it says, while I breathe... I hope. And I think if you kind of take that into a Christian context, like 
while God gives every, any person breath, there is still hope for them to receive the gospel. And God is slow in anger. Right? What is he, I mean, the very beginning, what is he telling Moses? I'm slow to anger. I'm slow to, we want God to be quick to anger. We want him to be quick to justice. But guess what? If God was quick to anger and justice, none of us would be here. Because he would have already taken care of you a long time ago, and me as well. But because he is patient, because he perseveres, because he puts up with us, here we are. And he's done a work in our lives and caused us to change and turn and be converted to his glory. So the, the cry should be, Lord, give us patience as you have patience, and let us make the most of every opportunity. Because once Christ comes back, every single person you know that isn't a believer, they're, they're judged, it's over, it's done. So his delaying is an opportunity for us to get it even more real with the gospel and sharing it with others. That's, so that's the second thing, share the gospel. Finally, we support the gospel. We support the gospel. I was, um, you know, they changed the tax code and stuff like that, I guess a year ago. So I get this little letter that goes over some of those changes, and some of the statistics are, are pretty crazy about who pays what and different things. I was kind of thinking about our current tax system compared to uh, the biblical system and trying to work on that. You know, when they, when they talk about uh, the biblical system of, of tithes and offerings, the temple tax and different things, um, most scholars think if you put those different percentages together, um, it'd be anywhere from like 23% to 30% in the Old Testament. Um, but here's the thing. That was, in a sense, to put it kind of in just our terms, it'd be like the federal government and the church together. Because the Old Testament was a theocracy. So um, you had the church tithe and then the federal tax put together. So depending on how you do the math, um, it was around 23 to 30%. Um, which, if you take that, so 30% max, I mean, our tax system is way out of whack. Okay. Um, some, people are paying, some people are paying that uh, and, and even more than that. Um, listen, when it comes to our support of the gospel... There's different ways we can do that. But one of the ways, one of the ways is financially. Um, not all of us can be missionaries, but we can support them. Not all of us can be pastors, but we can support them. Um, we can support many amazing organizations out there doing great work. We can support our church here doing some amazing work. Um, the thing that the Bible had in place with the Old Testament, it was, it was percentage-based. The rich didn't pay a higher percentage. It was just a flat percentage for everything. So the person who was poor making twenty or 30000 they pay the same percentage, but it's overall a lesser amount, right? If you're paying 30000 in and the tax and the tithe together is 20%, what does that turn out to be? 6000 Good. You guys are doing good today. Um, if you're making a million dollars and... The tithe and the tax combined is 20%. What's that? 200,000, okay? So it's more money, same percentage. Um, you've heard the saying, put your money where your mouth is, 
right? What does it mean? That's right, yeah. Back up what you say. You talk about it, then act on it, right? Or as one of my disciples like to say, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Um, here's the thing. You know, we look at uh, athletes, some of these Olympic athletes, some of these uh, athletes that do uh, just amazing feats. Um, we look at them sometimes oddly for the same amount of training they do. I mean, they're at the gym literally every single day, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours. I mean, that's crazy. And here's my question. Do we kind of draw that same head scratching from other people regarding our devotion to Christ? Like when the unbeliever looks at us, and they, if they examined our life, they started to look at how we lived our life, would they be like, that's crazy? Because they think they should. Like, you know, you go to church every single week and hardly ever miss? That should be, that's crazy to most people. You actually set aside time each day to pray for more than 30 seconds? You go to church on days other than Sunday? Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> You actually do stuff at your church to help out your church and its members. You actually serve there. You don't just go and just pop in for your 45 minutes and pop out. Uh, you give what percent of your income to your church? I mean, do people look at us like we're crazy because of how much we're in love for Jesus and serving him? Because I hoped that if, if they looked at how we lived, it would be not slightly different, but drastically different that there is a marked difference between your life and the life of your unbelieving neighbor, of your unbelieving friend, of your unbelieving family, and that they see that difference. Um, over the summer, I was at uh, my youngest son's baseball practice, and um, this lady was on her cell phone um, talking to her husband and um, it sounded like he was about to go into some type of stress, very stressful situation, some type of business venture. And her comment to him was, um, you're going to have to have a lot of beer at night. Like that was the answer to how to deal with the super stressful situation he was going to be going through for what sounded like weeks and weeks and weeks, maybe even months. And as I kind of thought there, I was like, man, that, that, I mean, that's just sad. Because that's like, that's how he's going to cope with that situation. Um, but then I kind of thought, don't we as believers sometimes do that too? I mean, not with beer. Well, I hope not. Um, but I think most of us have a tendency to do it in another way, where we self-medicate with other things. So we're in a stressed out situation, and we turn to food, or we turn to porn, or we turn to just kind of checking out of life and just vegging out on the sofa? Or we go into our room and, and put the headphones on and, and just live in our own little world? And we kind of self-medicate. That's, that's not the solution that God has for your life's ills or problems. It's the gospel. And it's the hope of the gospel. You don't have to self-medicate with any of those things. If you, wanna, if you want any type of medication, it, it is right here, folks. And you can drink as much of it as you want, okay? It is the gospel. It is the word of God right here for you. And you can take it in and take it in and take it in. This is the message of hope that God has for you. 
whatever you're dealing with, whatever your struggles. Does, do your brothers and sisters in Christ need to come alongside you and support you? Yes, absolutely. Do they need to pray for you? Yes, absolutely. Do they need to walk alongside you? Yes, absolutely. And sometimes in those really challenging situations, that's exactly what the body's supposed to do. We're not supposed to do this on our own. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. So we're in it together. And so if we need help, if, we need, if we're struggling, if we are in some stressful situation, then that's when we, we get on the phone and have our brother or sister pray with us. That's when we shoot out an email to a group of friends and ask them for prayer. That's when we send out a little text group and asking people to get on their knees and intercede for us. Okay? We deal with it in a biblical way. Okay? Because we have the hope of the gospel. We don't have to turn to those things. Those things are hopeless. If you're indulging in them, if you're touching them, they're hopeless. They won't help you. They are empty. It'll be like the Proverbs. It'll be gravel in your mouth. Okay? The solution is the gospel. God has given us the answer over and over again, over and over again, right there in the life of his son. And that is the message that we hear proclaimed. Old Testament, it's there. It's hidden a little bit, but it's there. New Testament, it's clear. The gospel. Each of you, each of us, should wake up each morning. I don't know how you, how you get out of bed in the morning. Usually mine starts with like this little meh, 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 meh. Okay. Some of you are morning people, and praise God for you. I'm a night person. You want to have a contest how late we can stay up? Um, well, I probably couldn't win anymore, man, because I'm getting old, okay? But at least, at least I could have given you a good run for your money a little bit. But <clears throat> it takes me a while to get going in the morning. But if I'm hitting the snooze button, usually the first thing I do is I get back in that bed and I thank the Lord for his goodness to me. And then I got one more day. And regardless of what the days hold, some hold some tough situations that I'm going to have to deal with as a pastor, but I'm, I'm thanking him, and I'm, I'm already asking him and interceding, Lord, give me wisdom. This isn't going to be necessarily the best day of my life, but it's the day that you've given me to live for you. So help me to live it well for your glory. And we need to start off with that truth, with the gospel truth. And when I climb into bed at the end of each day, um, usually, which I fall asleep like that, uh, so it only takes like 30 seconds, but I'll, I'll spend a little time like with the Lord thanking him again for his goodness to me, um, repenting if I need to of, of whatever sins committed that day, I'm asking for his mercy on the next day. But it's this idea of walking with the gospel in our lives every step of the way, morning, evening, midday. I mean, what is, uh, David writes about in the Psalms Right about all the different times that he's seeking the Lord throughout the day. That should be us. Okay? So we should be applying it. We should be sharing it. We need to be supporting the gospel. Let's pray.